Welcome back to another episode of Ramiumptum Ruminations. I'm the host, Scott. Today's episode is a continuation of the General Conference October 2021 series, and this episode is the Sunday Morning Session. Thanks for coming back to listen to another episode. I do want to <laughs> make a clarification. I actually misspoke when I did the intro of last week's episode and I called it the Saturday afternoon, but it was actually the Saturday evening. So if you skipped it because you thought that I had accidentally uploaded the wrong audio file, it was just that I misspoke and I apologize for that. So this week, I'm just going to jump right in. So the first speaker we had was... Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf, and his talk was called Daily Restoration. He starts off by, by relating a study that uh, was actually pretty interesting about um, people's sense of direction and how people generally will think they're walking in a straight line if they don't have any noticeable landmarks, but it's more common for them to actually walk in circles if they don't have anything to orient themselves. The direction he's taking with this talk I think is actually really good. He's trying to say that it's important for people to have some sort of landmark or some sort of um, metric to evaluate themselves in order to become a better person. And he talks about these landmarks. And, and of course, he's going to put a religious or a Mormon spin on this. And, and frankly, I think that's valid. I think it's important for everyone to, regardless of what these landmarks are, I think it's important for everyone to have in their mind, an idea of the type of person that they want to be, maybe even a role model, somebody that they want to emulate. It doesn't have to be Christ if you're not a, if you're leaning more to unbelief on the belief spectrum. But to hold someone in your mind, whether it's a, like a Nelson Mandela figure or someone else who, who had a, a really good set of morals that you want to pattern yourself after. Regardless of, of what direction you take these landmarks, I think it's important for people to have a metric of the type of person that we want to be, because that's the only way that we can improve and become a better person. That honestly has become my life's mission after leaving the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's, it's ironic. I suffered from pretty severe scrupulosity as a member because of this emphasis on perfecting yourself. But the minute this unattainable expectation was lifted, I grabbed on to this idea of becoming a better me without the baggage of eternal damnation if I don't. And so I've incorporated a very similar practice to what he is talking about here in my daily life. And so I, I think what he's saying, what Elder Uchtdorf is talking about here is actually really good. It's, it's a worthwhile talk to listen to, regardless of being a believer or a non-believer. I will put one stipulation. Um, if, if a believer, if someone on the belief spectrum that is, is leaning towards membership in the Church of Jesus Christ, then I think that you should be aware that some of these landmarks, if you will, that the church teaches are not healthy. 
That is to say, the the stance on the LGBTQ plus members of the church, or even women and their their role in the church, those concepts are not healthy. So I think it's important for a believer to critically analyze the stances of the church on everything and decide for themselves which ones do and do not fit with the type of person that they want to be. That's really all I want to say about Elder Uchtdorf's talk. I, I actually think this was a good one. The next speaker is Sister Camille N. Johnson. She's the primary general president, and uh, her talk was called Invite Christ to Author Your Story. Again, I, I think she's hitting on something that's really important. And, you know, it's, it's always in this general conference. It's going to have a religious and a Mormon spin to it, which is fine. Yeah, we, I shouldn't expect anything different. And so she's, she's talking about the narratives that we build up in our mind about our life. And I actually really like this idea. She's taking it in a direction that I probably wouldn't take it if, um, if applying this practice to myself. So she, she starts off by asking a couple of questions that most of these questions I think are really valid and important for us to be able to reflect on our own lives. She says, what kind of personal narrative are you writing for your life? Is the path you describe in your story straight? Does your story end where it began at your heavenly home? Is there an exemplar in your story? And is it the Savior Jesus Christ? Now, this, this idea of an exemplar goes right back to what Elder Uchtdorf was talking about with his landmarks and, and having someone to, to look up to and pattern your life after. The concepts that I love, that I, that I think are important that she's hitting on, she doesn't talk at length about them, but in my process of healing from uh, my scrupulosity, some depression, and suicidal ideation, it was... It was healing for me to reevaluate some of the stories that I told myself about my life because they weren't always accurate. And what I mean by that is the events happened and I and the feelings that I felt were real. But my opinions of them and my understanding at the time influenced the way I saw the world and influenced the way that I wrote this story about my life. And I wrote it in a very bitter and resentful way. That resentful way that I looked at my past and I looked at, at the way that I had, was being raised and the ideas that I held, it influenced the way that I interacted with, with members of the church after leaving. It influenced the way that I interacted with my family because I felt this resentment, I was treating these people with resentment. Because they were links to an older version of myself that I didn't like. And some of the thought work that I have done in my own life to reframe these things and accept myself for the previous versions that I was, I had to rewrite this story. I had to forgive myself to be at peace with the person that I was and the life that I used to lead. And it wasn't until I did that that I could fully heal and interact with family and friends that are still believing members of the church in a healthy way. The good parts that I want to take from this talk are is her emphasis on 
reevaluating the way we look at our lives. Now, of course, she puts a religious spin on it, and that's fine. <laughs> this is a general conference talk. The only other thing that I really want to mention about this talk, she goes through a couple of stories, and she talks about David and Goliath and some of the things that he had to overcome and some other Bible stories. She does have this quote around the middle, and she's quoting um, President Nelson, and then she kind of talks a little bit about it. She says, she says, and this is almost at the end of her talk, she says, in April 2021, our prophet, President Russell M. Nelson, asked us to consider what we could do if we had more faith in Jesus Christ. With more faith, we could ask a question to which we do not know the answer. Ask our Father in heaven in the name of Jesus Christ to send an answer through the Holy Ghost, who testifies of truth. At first, I thought it kind of ironic because the church kind of discourages its members to look into truth claims with any real depth. And so I just thought that was kind of ironic. But then she actually, she put a, a pretty good spin on this. I liked where she was going with it. And I think it's a healthier way to, to be a believing member of the church. So she talked about a couple that was struggling with infertility, that was praying for a miracle, uh, that they might have their own biological child. And she talked about the fact that perhaps this answer to their prayers that they've been having is that they need to adopt instead of waiting for a miracle that may or may not ever happen. And she goes through a couple of other examples like that, where she's, she's trying to help people reframe these unrealistic expectations that they have about the world and to help them come to peace with it. And, and I, I really like what she was trying to do, even if it has a religious spin that I don't 100% agree with. Don't have too much else to say about her talk. Oh, but I did want to make a comment that I've been thinking about that just kind of, this is more a complaint uh, about American culture. And perhaps this is something that's seen abroad as well. But I just, as I look at the women that speak in general conference, I look at them and I just, I wish they would just let themselves age gracefully like the men do. And I think that's not a problem so much with the church as it is a problem with American culture. If I could enact a change in the culture in, in my country, I would say I want society to look at women with age in the same way we look at men with age. Because it's natural and normal for people to age and for their hair to change. Even beautiful, I mean, and to age. That's part of being a human. It's so true to life. It's unfortunate that there's a double standard there. That's all I'm going to say about that. I just, <laughs> as, I, as I look at these women, that thought just keeps popping into my head. I just wish that, I wish that our culture let women age gracefully. Because it doesn't. And that's, that's unfortunate. The next speaker was Elder Dale G. Renland, and his talk was called The Peace of Christ Abolishes Enmity. He's telling the membership that the love of Christ is what will get rid of enmity in the world. He presents some very real problems that our world faces. Right off the bat, he starts talking about the COVID-19 pan COVID pandemic. He's talking about vaccines and medical professionals and he <laughs> he has this this phrase that i just think is well i'll just i'll just read what he says 
This is this is right in the beginning. It says the COVID-19 pandemic has certainly been a global stress test. The test has shown mixed results. Safe and effective vaccines have been developed. Medical professionals, teachers, caregivers, and others have sacrificed heroically and continue to do so. Many people have displayed generosity and kindness and continue to do so. Yet underlying disadvantages have been manifest. Vulnerable individuals have suffered and continue to do so. Those who work to address these underlying inequalities are to be encouraged and thanked. The way it was set up was almost, it was almost as if he were going to say um, how a large portion of the membership of the church have a general distrust of vaccines right now. I, I don't know. It, it kind of felt like he was drawing a line in the sand saying that the vaccines are safe, effective. And uh, <laughs> anyway, I thought that was interesting. He then talks about how the pandemic has been, as he says, a spiritual stress test. And he talks about how there's a lot of contention in the world. And he cites back to fourth Nephi, where Christ created a sort of a utopian society. I like what he's setting up here. He's talking about how there is a problem in our world with the way we disagree with each other. And there's a problem in the world right now where there just isn't peace. He is trying to offer solutions to this problem of contention in so many aspects of this world. And the first point that he makes, I agree with in a certain sense, but also disagree with. He's, and, and I'll explain what I mean by that. He's trying to unify the world under one banner, if you will, trying to break down the barriers of nationalities and such. And he says that we are all children of God. I don't believe that myself, but I do like the sentiment. We are all one humanity. We are all humans. There are so many more similarities with us than there are differences. We are humans before we're Republicans or Democrats or Americans. Whatever the nationality is, we are humans first. I agree with his sentiment here. We need to act as if we are one people. It's pie in the sky, I know, but, uh, but I'm going to dream big on this and I'm going to try and act as best I can as if we are one people. The method that he talks about for um, overcoming the discord in our world is by converting everyone to Mormonism. When I was listening to this, that aspect, it, it just felt a little unrealistic to me. I like how he set up this problem, but I wish he would have offered solutions of how to respectfully disagree with someone. And he, they have an interesting perspective that I think could have been really powerful here. The leaders of the church meet with other world faith leaders. I think it could have been really impactful for Elder Renland here to say something along the lines of, you know, as, as we discuss with the leaders of the Catholic Church or, you know, whatever religion it is that they're meeting with on some of these, these occasions, for them to talk about how they can come together in their belief in Christ, even though they disagree with the dogma. I think that could have been a really important way to influence the church in a really special way that they are uniquely positioned 
to talk about their interactions with other global faith leaders. Overall, I think his message is good. He later goes on to talk about a story of the the Finnish temple and how Russian members of the church uh, had to go and use this Finnish temple. Um, A little backdrop on this, the Russians and the Finns have warred off and on for quite a long while, and there is some tensions between the two countries. And he talked about how they were able to put aside these tensions as members of the church and to love and respect each other. And I think I thought it was a great story. And I hope that listeners of this might take this concept and apply it to some of the racism that we see in our politics. But maybe that's another story for another day. The only thing I want to add to this is for me, the way I have overcome some of the ingrained problems that I was handed through my society and through religion was by exposing myself to the stories of people from other walks of life. The best thing that you can do would be to expose yourself to the stories of other people. Go watch a foreign film from a country that you don't understand. Read a book by someone whose life experience is different than yours. If you're a straight person, go read a book about the struggles of someone in the LGBTQ plus community. The only way to fight this sort of ignorance is by exposing ourselves to the experiences of other people. And that's how we can develop this compassion. Anyway, I've gone on a tangent. Sorry about that. (laughs) The next speaker was Elder. I am not going to be able to pronounce this. He's from Tonga, but it's Elder Vayanga. Sikahema, I probably butchered that. I don't speak Tongan, and I apologize. He's of the Quorum of the Seventy, and the talk that he gave was called A House of Sequential Order. Uh, he starts off by, by telling a story about um, him as a young man passing the sacrament and how a woman came into the foyer after they had already passed the bread, and she only took the water. And he talked about how important it was for the sequence of things within the church. He presents this sequential order as like a natural way for the Lord to teach his people. I <laughs> I have thoughts about this one, but I don't want to dig too deep on it. I just, I think that Mormonism is, is very concerned with decorum and order and ritual. Now, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with ritual, but there is a there is a disconnect between the way Jesus practiced Judaism. If you read the stories about Jesus in the New Testament, he did not follow the rules. He didn't break them arbitrarily, but if you if you keep track of when he did break the rules, it always served a, a higher purpose. It was to serve people. It was to benefit society and to benefit people. If the church could break away from from the rigid way it practices the faith to something more fluid, like the way it's presented that Jesus taught it, I think it could be a much healthier organization. 
the next thing he, t- he started talking about was the sequential way that God teaches us. He talks about, you know, line upon line, precept upon precept, milk before mead. You know, he's hitting all of these phrases that we've heard over and over again within the church. <laughs> For me, I always like questions just pop into my head. And so I just that, that's the way that I process these things. And so if the way that the Lord wants to teach his people is line upon line with these stories. So this is the sequential way that the Lord teaches us. But what if, what if these teachings are myth instead of history? Is there anywhere in this, this line upon line sequence where we're supposed to learn the actual history? Those are just some of the questions that popped into my head as I was listening. The next speaker was Elder Quentin L. Cook. And his talk is called Personal Peace in Challenging Times. He cites the story of Joseph Smith in Liberty Jail and talks about how he w- went to Liberty Jail and read the scriptures that Joseph Smith that were written while Joseph Smith was in Liberty Jail. And he talks about how it was a moving experience for him and that that Joseph was able to find peace in this trying time. All great lessons. I think it's very important for people to recognize that they can have peace in in their hardship. I think that's a great lesson. Now, there's some some things that he, he says that may or may not be historically accurate about this story. The point that I want to hit on on this is he, he gives five ways that he, he calls the works of righteousness that will help people have less contention and uh, disputations in their life. I'll briefly go over most of these, but there's one of them that I do want to talk about a little bit more. The first one he says is love God, live his commandments and forgive everyone. I think this is great. You know, if, if you have a set of commandments that you believe in, keep them. That's great. Forgiving people, also very important. The second one he says is seek the fruits of the Spirit. Third, he says, exercise agency to choose righteousness. Fourth, build Zion in our hearts and homes. And fifth, this is the one that I want to talk about a little bit. Follow the current admonitions of our prophet. It's subtle, but the way he's worded this, I think, is important. He didn't say, follow the admonitions of our current prophet. He said, follow the current admonitions of our prophet. And I think the difference there is important. If we go and look at the 2015 and the subsequent 2019 changes to the way the church handled LGBTQ youth and adults, I think this is the way they're trying to reframe that as saying, that we're supposed to follow the current admonitions of the prophet, not the, not the previous admonitions of the prophet. And I think that's an important distinction. The final speaker for the, for the Sunday morning session was President Russell M. Nelson with the talk, The Temple and Your Spiritual Foundation. Now, I do have a bit more I want to say about this one. When I listen to some of, the, some of these talks, I'm reminded of the scrupulous ideologies that I held and how, as I listen, I hear the phrases that were very damaging to my mental health. And there were a lot of them in this talk, actually. The first one that I want to mention is he, he's talking about how the temple is a place where you'll find peace and how you'll be saved. He talks about how the, the Salt Lake Temple is currently undergoing renovations, how it's going to be the safest place during an earthquake. He says... We have been promised that if we are prepared, we shall not fear. This assurance has profound implications today. 
The Lord has declared that despite today's unprecedented challenges, those who build their foundations upon Jesus Christ and have learned how to draw upon his power need not succumb to the unique anxieties of this era. When I read this, I was immediately reminded of how this would have reminded me as a believing member of the church that I was not prepared because I struggled with this or that and how I wasn't perfect yet. And it was really, it was phrases like this that were really unhealthy for me. In this talk, he's trying to hit really hard how important the temple and temple, temple covenants are. And he makes the claim that temple ordinances and covenants are ancient. On one hand, I think he's correct, but not in the way that he's trying to present it. Looking into the temples in ancient Israel and Judea, we have dig sites where we can examine the things that they did there and how they worshipped. There is very little connection between the temples that the church has today and the temples in the ancient world. But it isn't a false statement to say that there were ordinances that were done in these temples because they did have rites and they did have rituals that they performed. So it's true, but misleading. He's trying to justify some of the recent changes and he cites the fact that around the time of the Spanish flu, prior to this, the sacrament was the sacrament water was passed out in a large vessel, like a big cup. And it was passed out from member to member and they were all drinking from these same cups. The, you know, those germaphobes listening might be cringing real hard at this, but that's how it used to be done. And he cited this change from a large vessel to single use cups was an important change. And then he recommends the membership to ponder three truths. After citing that story, he says, The restoration is a process, not an event, and will continue until the Lord comes again. The ultimate objective of the gathering of Israel, the ultimate objective of the gathering of Israel is to bring the blessings of the temple to God's faithful children. As we seek how to accomplish that objective more effectively, the Lord reveals more insight. The ongoing restoration needs ongoing revelation. There are two things that come to my mind as I'm listening to this. He's moving the goalpost and trying to to set it up where they can change things, which I think is fine. I think it's good and healthy to be able to, as an organization, decide that something is unhealthy and to move away from it. That's great. Both unhealthy physically as those large cups being shared and germs being spread to the whole congregation or unhealthy mentally like some of the teachings of the church that they have moved away from and some that they still need to move away from. But I want to point out that there is an important distinction between sacrament cups and institutional racism, bigotry, or sexism. To me, that would be more like a procedural health adjustment, something that doesn't have a doctrinal basis to it. But there are so many other issues that that have changed in the church that were previously presented as eternal truths. And there is a very important difference there. And if you recognize that the church has taught both sides, both a healthy and an unhealthy side of so many issues, illustrates the fact that the prophets and apostles have been wrong on many occasions. And I don't think that's 
something that they're willing to address yet, but they're trying to move the goalposts to enable them to make future changes that might be more dramatic. He then went on to say some things that I, that I really did not like. He told the young members to get married in the temple. He told those that were unmarried to try and seek out the temple blessings and get their endowment. Near the end of his talk, he had this, this paragraph. I'm going to read it. If I could speak with each husband and wife who have still not been sealed in the temple, I would plead with you to take the necessary steps to receive that crowning, life-changing ordinance. Will it make a difference? Only if you want to progress forever and be together forever. Wishing to be together forever will not make it so. No other ceremony or contract will make it so. There's almost a flippancy with the way he presented this. It rubbed me the wrong way. As a covenant breaker myself, if there is an afterlife, and if it's the Mormon afterlife, he's telling me that, that I can't be together forever with my family. Wishing to be together forever will not make it so. And I, I think that that is a really unhealthy message for a lot of people. There are so many people in the church with mixed faith marriages, and telling them this is just going to make the problem worse just going to make them resent their spouse for leaving or resent their spouse for not ever learning about the church. You know, if it's a situation where they married a non-member of the church, this sort of teaching is inviting discord. Now I have different ideas on what the afterlife may or may not look like and what may or may not happen to my consciousness after this life that maybe I'll discuss down the road. I don't think it's going to look like the Mormon heaven. The one thing I will say is there is nothing in existence that has never changed. So for me to grasp an idea like this of a state of constancy that goes on forever, it almost seems unnatural to me. This session in particular, I didn't like. This was probably probably my least favorite one. Now there were, were some good talks in it and I think there were some good messages shared, but the way President Russell M. Nelson presents Mormonism is very black and white. This talk was very reminiscent of the sad heaven talk that he gave a number of years ago. It's almost as if he wants to use guilt and fear to encourage the members to stick harder to the church. But he doesn't recognize that it's, it's that sort of rhetoric that pushes so many people away. If the church makes a claim that God is loving, separating families is not a loving thing to do. And so there's a discrepancy there. I guess perhaps a member of the church might say that, that God has to separate families because it appeals to some sort of sense of justice or an eternal truth that he's trying to meet. But, as I said earlier, Jesus broke the rules. And he broke them specifically when it helped people. And so, if Christ is going to be the same sort of judge that he was when he lived here on earth, why would I assume that he wouldn't make the same sorts of exceptions to the rules in the future? Because that would be different than the character he, he presented in the New Testament. What I'm trying to say is that if God is loving, 
And if Jesus showed the example of breaking the rules when it was good and loving and kind to people, then I don't see how he could separate families. I think that's a good note to end this episode on. That if God is loving, and Jesus showed us the example of breaking rules to help people, then perhaps the Mormon afterlife won't look anything like the way it's presented. Thanks for listening to another episode. I... I hope that these episodes have been enjoyable for you. As I said, I'm excited to get back to the normal content. I've got one more of these to do. That should come out next week. And as always, I hope you all have an excellent day.